0: welcome to the naked truth peace to you it's saturday night so we're going to pick up where we left off in the new testament so well, there'll be red letters tonight and in case this is your first time reading with me that just means we'll get letters words attributed to jesus quotes of jesus and as a christian like i always say that's what we should focus on because like i always tell you the words that jesus says only appear in a tenth a tithe of the 60 plus books of the bible in only six books do you get those red letter quotes so as a Christian you actually have the easiest job of trying to understand what the Bible says for us and you know if you've read with me before you've seen there's lots of contradicting messages throughout the Bible and if you're a Christian why not choose what Jesus Christ the Messiah the Savior himself actually says if that's what you're going to call yourself why would you give anyone else that authority So. All that being said, we're going to begin now in Matthew chapter 16. That's the first book in the New Testament. And uh, let's start with verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. So the Pharisees and Sadducees are the religious authorities of the day. They're um, basically, um, it would be just like uh, the preachers and teachers of the church in modern times only is the sect of that, a sect of the religion Jesus was born into. Jesus was born into the religion of Judaism, but just like the other religions, there are different sects, different denominations of that religion. It happens to be that the Pharisees and Sadducees, their um, denomination or sect of the religion um, was it, was um, eradicated, eliminated, it was done around 70 a.d when the city of jerusalem was besieged by the romans and um that other people were um massacred basically the ones that weren't starved out and forced into cannibalism the rest were conquered and the city was the the temple was um that's when the second temple was destroyed And not one stone left upon another. All of that was destroyed. Only stones left upon another weren't of the temple. They were of the wailing wall. That's all that's left in modern times. So you have to remember that when that prophecy came true, it came true already in around 70 AD. The temple is gone. Only things left are the wall. That's not what Jesus prophesied. He didn't say the wall would be gone too. He said the temple. Verse 2. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. Oh, so one last thing: the Pharisees and Sadducees, they um, their thing is um, what they're they in the New Testament as they one of the things they get noted for is that they follow Jesus around along the scribes and write and note the different things he does from the miracles to his messages, and they don't do it so that they can rejoice at the miracles and the wonders that he does; they do it so they can find accusation against them because they. Just like we've been reading on our Monday and Wednesday readings, they act as the law enforcement, as the religious law enforcement, noting where the citizenry violates the laws so that they can basically cite you for that, and then you have to pay for it. Just like law enforcement in modern times would do, only without the religion. They're doing it with the religion so that if you uh, quote-unquote sin or offend in one of their uh, religious orders, then you have to pay for it with cows or goats or sheep. Or um, flour, whatever the case may be. And it's not so that it can all be burnt up, consumed for God's use. What use does God have for any of that? It's so that the religion can be enriched by it. Just like in modern times, law enforcement passes out those tickets, sets up speed traps, and all sorts of other things. Not so that the people can be enriched by it, but so that the the law enforcement can be enriched by it, and the law enforcement gets enriched by it even if they break those same laws that they're uh, paid to enforce. You see examples of that again and again and again with the police brutality. They uh, at at first at best they get suspended most of the time, especially if they're if they're a certain color. If they're the wrong color, then they usually get swift justice. They get fired, the book thrown at them, they lose their job, they can't become an officer again. If they're another color, a lighter color, the complexion for protection, as they say, then at best, at first, they may get suspended with pay, and then they'll get an investigation, maybe, or an investigation will just die down and disappear if enough time passes by and there's no public outrage about it and then either way they're usually allowed to go get another job somewhere else doing the same thing and often abusing more people and it's basically um the citizens paying to be abused by the people they're paying to protect and serve and you see the hypocrisy of it in from even the representatives of that law enforcement the so-called blue lives matter and thin blue line notice how silent they were at the um at the um at the January 6th event they weren't outraged that police were being bashed and beat up and some even uh they say committed suicide after the traumatic events of that day they're basically silent so to let you know they're not impartial they side with the same right-wing so-called conservative craziness that took place that day so um, apparently the blue lives only matter if you're on a certain side of that blue line and it's disgusting and sad that they're still allowed to get paid even if they're caught on camera abusing people or standing by like the other three officers in the case of the George Floyd murder still allowed to stand by and get paid if if it or get plea deals when it comes to their own murder trials or part in the murder it, it, trial. It's it's disgusting, but it's the American system, and it's nothing new. Verse two. He answered and said to them, "When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red." So they're asking Jesus for a sign, and so he's telling them, "Well, when you're looking for signs, when it comes to the weather, you can look at the sky and tell if the sky is red. It means something. Um, it you you can assume or deduce." That it'll be fair weather the sky is red so it'll the weather probably won't be too bad today usually i would think if the sky's red that means it's pretty cloudy so the sun's just not blaring down on you and um but it's still enough to light the sky so not too bad it may be hot or sunny or but it won't be so uncomfortable um you can forecast the weather in other words is what jesus is saying Verse three and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So Jesus is saying, just like you can forecast the weather judging by how the sky looks, why are they not able to um, forecast or at least discern what's going on judging by the signs around them? Because remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees are the religious leaders. They're the ones who got the message, uh, if, if if you're going to believe the Old Testament messages. Uh, in particular the prophecies not necessarily the ordinances and statutes laid out after the 10 commandments but specifically the prophets of the old testament that point to the coming of christ messiah jesus and um the different things that will surround his coming and his ministry and his life and uh, and his suffering so if they're able to read the sky and figure out the weather if they're the teachers of the prophets the law of the prophets and the psalms they should also be able to look at the different signs surrounding Jesus and know that that's who he was, who he is. Um, like if you consider the the um, the the nativity and the different uh, scriptures surrounding that and how they were able to even go to the authorities at that time and sort of pinpoint the time when the Christ was to be born. And remember, that's how they had the massacre, the innocents. The ruler at that time was scared that um a king was coming to replace him, so there was the massacre of the innocents where he murdered or had all the children two years old and under killed in an attempt to try and make sure he exterminated Jesus also only that it didn't work out that way. But the people who knew about it were the religious leaders, those were the ones who basically informed the government that that's what's happening, and again that's another sign of nothing old and nothing new because that's exactly how things work in modern times religion works hand in hand with politics to help manage society and um, govern what people are um, up to to help sort of wrangle people into a certain way of thinking so like jesus says it's hypocritical to say you can figure out what the environment is doing the atmosphere is doing but you can't figure out what the stuff you've been studying and preaching and teaching is doing Verse four, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. So Jesus is saying it's wicked and adulterous, not so much sexual adultery, but unfaithful. It's unfaithful and wicked for them to um ask for a sign when they they are supposedly preaching and teaching all the different signs that would um be a prelude to the messiah's entrance into the world and basically his uh, of the his ministry jesus's ministry so it's hypocritical for them to be that way and it's adulterous and it's unfaithful to expect signs when you're not even being faithful to what it is you are supposedly out professing as your truth and then notice jesus also cites jonah so Jonah is, if you've ever heard the Jonah and the whale, it's that same Jonah who, in the narrative, gets swallowed up by a whale for three days and then gets vomited out. And he, it happens to him because he refuses to do, go on the ministry that um, the Lord in the Old Testament gives him to go on. So instead of doing that, he decides to do something else. Because he didn't want, he chose not to. But in choosing not to, he faced a whole lot of trouble for choosing not to until he relented and changed his mind and then went on the ministry um, like he was ordered to in the first place. Um, It's that same Jonah. But the thing about that is the story of Jonah may or may not be accurate as far as getting swallowed up by a whale for three days. But the fact that Jesus mentions it doesn't mean that he's saying it actually happened um, at all. He may just be referencing it as something that's known in pop culture, the same way you may reference Alice in Wonderland in modern times or Superman. That doesn't mean they we believe they actually existed. They're just known in popular culture so that if someone references them, you know who they are. So I think that may be what Jesus is doing there. And that's um, whether Jonah existed or not. He's referring back to that because they all know, or not all, but they know the narrative of Jonah and the three days he spent And um, that story, and and it's in the book of Jonah, also in the Bible, in the Old Testament. God willing, we'll get to it on our Monday, Wednesday readings at some point. But Jesus basically answered them, answered their question with uh, that response. That is wicked and it's unfaithful of them to be seeking signs when they've already got all the uh, signs and scriptures to refer to and supposedly be sharing with people. And then he lets them know the only sign they're gonna get from then on at that point is the same sign that Jonah did the three days, um, basically in death, because he's in the heart of some animal. Um, the great fish is I said whale, but it says it's the if you it it reads a giant fish or something like that, not necessarily a whale. Um And let me see, was there something else about that I was going to say? Um, Oh, so, and that's sort of a reference to Jesus' three days in the heart of the earth. He goes into it further in other other Gospels, um, but basically referring to the time he'll spend in the grave after his crucifixion and before the resurrection. Verse 5, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. So, Jesus is on the move, and the disciples are with them, because remember, he left them and departed, left the Pharisees and Sadducees and went on his way, and the disciples are with them, but they forgot to take bread with them for the journey. Verse 6, then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, Jesus is warning them, letting them know there's something you need to look out for, and that's the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, leaven is the same thing as you would use in cooking. Um, With, um, it can be yeast, it can be baking powder, it can be baking soda, it can be salt, it can be egg whites beaten. It can be lots of different things that you use to make something rise. And it doesn't take very much of it, just a little bit compared to the rest of the recipe. For instance, a loaf of bread may use two or three cups or four cups of flour, and maybe an egg or two, some oil, some water, some liquid. But it's only going to use maybe a teaspoon or two at the most of one of those leavenings, whether it's the baking soda or the uh, baking powder or the, the the yeast. It's not going to take very much of it. So it doesn't take very much leavening for the entire recipe. Similarly, it doesn't take much um, doctrine as what I believe Jesus is trying to say. It doesn't take very much wrong teaching from the pharisees and sadducees because remember that's who they are the religious leaders but i think another message or another way of translating what of what jesus is saying there is in modern terms it's um beware of or uh, avoid what is it it's um beware of religion and politics because um the pharisees and sadducees are the political and religious leaders and be careful of them because uh they're often filled with traps. There's all sorts of hypocrisy like he just called them out for and all sorts of um unfaithful wickedness, basically. And the unfaithfulness, just like with religion, happens in politics, too. You see, America, for instance, it claims to be a God-fearing Christian nation, while at the same time it says there's a separation of church and state and that the government will not have any official, establish any official religion How can those two things be true? They can't be true. They're mutually exclusive, and yet that's the hypocrisy that is the American system, where you stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance, and um, One Nation Under God, and uh, Liberty and Justice for All, when none of those things are actual ideals that the government lives up to at all. They just use them when it's convenient, when it's convenient to oppress someone, use it when it's convenient for abortion rights, as you see right now. This isn't the first time you see it in history, although they try to suppress the history of America because much of it is wicked and hypocritical. But consider the teachings and the history of slavery, teaching slaves that, oh no, it's your role in the world to be slaves and subduing people that way thinking, making them believe That that's what God would have them do, not by anything Jesus says, but using other parts of the Bible to sort of encourage, not even sort of, to encourage and teach that. Ignoring the part about love your neighbor as yourself, because obviously you wouldn't want to be enslaved. You wouldn't want to have your family busted up and ripped apart and then be forced to work for free as someone's free labor to build the White House, for instance, to to build the railroads, for instance. And, uh, be at someone's leisure raped or lynched or terrorized constantly you wouldn't want that for yourself that's not loving your neighbor as yourself and yet that's the American history that gets suppressed even though it's just the plain truth it's the same thing that happens with religion um, so Jesus is saying be careful of that, beware of that watch out for that verse 7 and they reason among themselves saying it is because we've taken no bread So the disciples do um, what they often do, and I think it's represent um, human nature, Um, whether it's doubting Thomas or it's um, um, unfaithful, uh, or what's his name, Uh, Judas, the Judas kiss of betrayal, or whether it's the um, Peter's uh, denial of even knowing Jesus, it's, they, it seems, represent the human frailties and imperfections The all, the disciples represent an array of those and because that's the behavior they exhibit and is very common in human beings and so what they're doing there is going right to human nature to look at what they have on hand and say oh we didn't won't have any bread that's what he's talking about because of course one of the basic needs of humans is food along with water and shelter um and those are just the physical needs, not to mention the emotional and uh, needs that people have, but just the basic physical needs, food, water, and shelter. So that's where their mind goes to instantly that uh, we didn't have any bread. He's figured it out. He knows it somehow. And so that's why he's given us this message to be aware of leavening. They think he's talking about leavening of bread. Verse 8, but Jesus being aware of it said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? So Jesus perceives it in them, uh, whether he overheard it or whether they came and whispered it to, or came and told them about it. He knows that that's what their what their focus is and that their focus is in the, and on the wrong thing. So he admonishes them by letting them know it's unfaithful to let your mind instantly go to the human side of things because you're supposed to be faithful and not just in a, a, a spiritual sense but faithful in a like you'd be faithful in a relationship you're supposed to be heart set on on what Jesus has to say so why would Jesus worry about if you have enough bread or not when they've seen him take what they have on hand not be enough and seen him multiply it so that it's enough and enough left for leftovers? Uh, for masses of people, thousands and thousands of people. So you can imagine there's probably some disappointment in what Jesus is telling them that uh, when he's saying they have little faith and uh, wondering why are you worried about bread? Verse 9, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the f- of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? So Jesus is reminding them or at least bringing it, uh, bringing it up to them that um, okay, you didn't have enough bread before, and that didn't stop things. That didn't stop the train from rolling. And he's asking them, "Do they not understand?" As in, um, in case you, in case you do remember, maybe you just didn't understand what that miracle about feeding the masses was, or maybe you do understand and you just forgot. Jesus is covering both bases, like uh, whether you don't understand or whether you don't remember. Let me remind you or refresh your memory when you didn't have enough bread before. Verse 10, nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, how many large baskets you took up. So not only did it happen once where they had a mass of multitude of people following them and the people needed food and they didn't have enough and yet Jesus was able to make it enough miraculously or supernaturally, it happened more than once, Were thousands and thousands of people. And according to the count the count of people um, in the narrative, that's just the men that were counted, not even in counting the women and children. And yet Jesus was able to feed them all. The disciples witnessed it because they held, they counted up what they had on hand in the first place and knew they didn't have enough. And they knew what they did was... Come to Jesus, and he made it enough, and enough to spare. So they witnessed it, they know these things, so he's wondering, well, is it that you don't remember, or is it that you didn't understand? What is the case? Whatever the case is, it's showing that you have very little faith. Verse 11, How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus is making it clear. He's not talking about bread that you physically eat. He's not talking about the scraps of bread that were left over. He's not talking about the baskets full of leftover bread. He's not talking about physical bread at all. He's talking about the faith. He's talking about the doctrine. He's talking about what's being preached and taught and believed as truth and gospel. And that it's not all gospel truth, even if it's there in the Bible. It's another message for us, like I've said before. Everything in the Bible is not a Christian message. All of the Bible may be inspired by God, but all the words in the Bible are not God's words. Otherwise, there wouldn't be so many contradictions. I would think there wouldn't be any contradictions if they're um, truly from the source of perfection known as God why would there be a contradiction? Why would there be changes? Why would the food laws, for instance, change again and again and again? Why would the command for, for instance, the statute or ordinance in the Old Testament about men lying with other men, as in having sex with or sleeping with other men, be one way in one verse and then come along in the Gospels? And Jesus says, no, that's not the case at all. And lets us know that that's not the case at all it wouldn't be that it couldn't be from the same source of everlasting truth in both places because an everlasting truth wouldn't change um so he's letting them know what they're believing uh, or what they're what they're what they're focusing on is the wrong thing and he's not talking about bread you eat he's or leaven that you use to make that bread he's talking about the doctrines that people embrace the tiny little teachings that people use to go about their daily life that end up taking over the whole loaf, that end up taking over their whole lives. Even if it's, in the case of bread, it's that little bit of leaven. In the case of our spiritual walks, our belief systems, it's a little bit of false teaching or a little bit of truth. The little bit of truth, the little bit of truth that you pick up prayerfully here on The Naked Truth or wherever else you may find it. Hopefully it permeates the rest of your life. It permeates the whole loaf and makes the whole thing rise. But in the same way truth can do that, lies and false teaching can absolutely do the same thing too. Bad religion can do the same thing too. And Jesus is letting us know, beware of that. Beware of picking up that little bit of false teaching, that little bit of a lie, that little bit of bad doctrine and letting it take over your whole loaf, take over your whole existence, because there's a danger of it doing that. It's just as one more example before we move on. I myself, as a young, as a teen, and you know, kid in the faith, when I first got introduced to, um, you know, exposed to God and the existence of a, a higher power and church and all of that as a kid, um, it wasn't long before I ran into. Uh, verses that confused me because it wasn't long I was young I was probably three when I realized that I was attracted I was male and attracted to other males even though I didn't understand what that meant as far as male and female quickly people let you know, you know society lets you know family and um, structures let you know uh, this is for girls and that's for boys and they let you know when you're not falling in line with what's expected of you so it wasn't long before I figured that part out but once you start opening up the Bible and start reading it, you get those mixed messages. And it wasn't until just a few years ago that I even discovered what Jesus says about men lying with other men. And it's because churches don't preach that. They preach the damnation, hellfire messages of the Old Testament and then the, the, test, the, the teachings of Paul and the New Testament to other separate religions from Christianity altogether. Judaism in one sense and a sect of it from the Old Testament and Catholicism in the New Testament separate also from Christianity in the New Testament um, and then it took time I only realized that like I say a few years ago that neither one of those apply to me as a Christian because again if you're going to call yourself a Christian what Jesus says is what applies to us it applies to the entire world but it's for us to embrace it as our truth. That's the leaven that we have to embrace as our truth to help make our whole loaf, make our whole ri- life rise. Um, uh, so it, it's easy to let that false teaching take over your whole existence. It almost drove me to suicide more than once, thinking, well, what's the point of trying to be good if the Bible tells you you're going to end up in hell either way just because of who you love, um, as, as far as the males um, lying with other males, and that was before I even was sexually active. That I believed that that was the case because it's what was told me in most every church, any place I'd been to. Not all of them, but most of them. And even when you turn it on TV, it's what most of the televangelists will tell you that that's the case. Even though that's not what Jesus says at all. But again and again, you see what Jesus say says being rejected by people who say they're Christian and some other teaching, some other doctrine, some other leaven being embraced and taught and causing the whole loaf to soak it up and fall. Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So the the disciples get it there that, okay, he's not talking about bread that you bake. He's talking about our existence. He's talking about our belief system and being careful of what you include in that recipe as what you believe to be gospel truth or from God truth. Be careful because there are lies out there and if you embrace a lie it can easily spread and contaminate the whole loaf. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So this is one of the rare instances where Jesus not only refers to himself as the son of man, but makes it clear when he says son of man, he's talking about himself. And the way that I understand son of man, what it means is um he's saying son, and it's capitalized, so he lets us know he's somehow the son of God, of meaning from and man humanity. So he's letting us know he's God's son, in um coming through the form of humanity, of humans, not. Um, the spiritual existence, but his human form. Um, um, like Venus de Milo's, it's Venus of Milo or Miles, wherever that's from, or um, uh, Joan of Arc, so it's Joan from that area she's from. It's the same thing. He's saying, Son of God, of man, of humans, of humanity. And so this is one of the rare instances where he lets us know when he says "son of man," he's talking about himself. He's saying it in third person, but he's talking about himself. And I think he does that, uh, like I said before, for the the so that when it's documented, when the disciples later on were persecuted and made to give their testimony of Jesus and his ministry and their and their uh, and all that happened there, so that when they when it was set to, to set down and uh, and in writing that it would make sense because if he if um in some of the cases if he didn't say it in third person it wouldn't make sense to the reader at another time verse 14 so they said some say john the baptist some elijah and others jeremiah or one of the prophets so jesus asked, jesus asked them who do people think or say he is the disciples say that or respond by saying They believe that you're either John the Baptist, that's Jesus' cousin, who actually baptized Jesus, and then ended up executed for his um, words against the government. Elijah, that's an Old Testament prophet who also was persecuted by the government at the time of his teachings. And a prophet, just in case you don't know, is basically someone uh, someone who gets a message, a divine message, and shares it with the people, and that's sort of their mission to... Hear what it is God says and share it with the people. That's basically what a prophet is. It's not quite the same thing as predicting things. It's more like being able to have foreknowledge of things that are going to happen and share them with people so that they'll, they have it as a warning, basically, that, okay, if you continue down that road, that path, that's what lies ahead for you. So you have a chance to repent before you get there and change your ways. Um, so Elijah is one of those. One more thing about Elijah, he's one of he's the one. If I remember right, yeah, it is Elijah, not Elisha. Elijah came first, if I remember right. If you um, if you read the Old Testament, and like I said, God willing, we'll get to that point in the gospel, in the Bible, in our Monday and Wednesday readings. I mean, where we'll read about Elijah. He's the one who was carried away in what we would call in modern terms a UFO. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's right there in writing. You can I mean in the Bible, you can see it for yourself. He's swept away in a fiery chariot, as it's described in the Old Testament, and flown up out of here. And then not only that about Elijah, in the New Testament, Jesus says um, that he's an example of what we'd call in modern terms reincarnation. Because in the Old Testament, he's carried away in that vessel. And then he appears again in the New Testament. And Jesus even says that John the Baptist is Elijah. Uh, he And some in some of the Gospels, or at least in one of the Gospels, he says he he's in the spirit and power of Elijah. But in another Gospel, Jesus makes it clear that if we're willing, willing to receive it. And that's a contingency. If we're willing to receive it, that means some people won't. And that's straight from Jesus' mouth. But if you're willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. Letting us know that's reincarnation, that Elijah went away at one point, hundreds if not thousands of years before Jesus and John the Baptist made their human appearance um, on earth. But that John the Baptist is that reincarnation of Elijah. It always makes me think of the movie, it's an older movie, but it's, a great movie, it's a classic two thousand and one Space Odyssey, where you see the um person going through life, then going into space, which actually when you like we've talked about before, and even science says if you travel into space, you actually start to travel through time, whether backward in time or forward in time, generally backwards in time. If you especially once you leave the orbit of the earth, and this is a whole other topic, um, but and it's you know it's higher thinking than I'm you know than I can go in the depth explaining. But in a simple sense, the world, the Earth orbits the Sun. That's pretty basic, and that's how we measure time by minutes, days, hours, years. Um. So if you leave the orbit of the Sun, you're no longer measuring time the same way because you're not orbiting the Sun. So. It, very basically, that's one way you can escape or t- travel through time. So, in in the movie Two Thousand One: Space Odyssey, I'd highly recommend it. It's very long, but it's an excellent movie. You see the same thing happen where there are space travelers, and they travel. Uh, the at least one guy travels through time. He's not alone, but at the end, he's alone. And then at the end also, you see him sort of reborn again as a baby in space and then starting all over again. Um, after he's already aged um, beyond like a day or two, he starts out one age and then by traveling through that time ends up ancient. And then next thing you know, he's an infant starting all over again. It's, it's um incredible movie, but... Um, it gives it's what i think of here when you think of elijah and him uh being taken off in a vessel and then coming again as john the baptist um and reincarnation and that whole idea um so anyway that's who those two are and then Eli- and jeremiah is another prophet mentioned in the old testament and so they're saying the disciples answer jesus that that's who the people believe jesus is one of those different um um prophets or uh, characters um, in the in the grand scheme of things so verse 15 he said to them but who do you say that I am so Jesus heard from the disciples who the people think he is and now he's asking the disciples who've walked with him taught with him and journeyed with him through his ministry so far who do they say that he is verse 16 Simon Peter answered and said you are the Christ the son of the living God so Peter is the same Peter who um who um at one point is said to get the keys to the kingdom of God and some religions will translate that as he's at the doorway to heaven and and um that's who you'll run into Saint Peter when you die before you um Make it in heaven, but I don't think that's what Jesus meant by that at all. I think what He says, the keys, He's saying the uh, the elements of understanding what it means to make it to heaven, the gospel truth, that those are the keys to understand what the path is about and what salvation is actually about, not what religion will teach you, but the actual key ideas of understanding what actual truth from God as told by Jesus, truly is. Um, So it's that same Peter who also, by the way, like I said, ends up denying that he even knows Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times just before the crucifixion at one of Jesus' darkest hours as far as his human ministry goes. In his darkest hour, one of his closest companions, Simon Peter, denies that he even knows him. And Jesus doesn't even hold that against him. He restores him once he's, according to the narrative in our faith, Crucified and resurrected, he uh, restores Peter um, and gives him a chance to admit and confess his love for Christ three times, sort of counteracting the words that he'd said when he denied even knowing him. And that goes into the idea that I've said, mentioned again and again when we've read the, um, Through the Naked Truth, where you have to be careful what it is you actually say. You can read it as it's written, but if you're reading it aloud, even to yourself, I'd be careful with the things you say, because like it says in Matthew 12, 37, uh, it's by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. You may condemn yourself, even reading things out loud or even saying your own thoughts out loud um, by manifesting them through the power, the energy that you put into it by voicing it, by saying it. And I know that sounds uh, esoteric or crazy, Um, But it's my understanding of what Jesus is accomplishing when he says things like this. So um, it's that same Peter. And Peter's saying now that he believes Jesus is the Savior. That's what Christ or the anointed one, the one who's prophesied in the scriptures that the Pharisees and Sadducees uh, were supposedly believing and sharing. Peter's letting him know he believes that's him. That's who Jesus is. And, uh, And in other words, the son of the living God the Son of Man, the Son of God in the form of a man. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon bar for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So, Jesus here is saying, well, God bless you, Peter, for um what you just said. He's saying because you didn't say that on your own understanding of your own mind, of your own um, thoughts. Instead, it's higher power, the god power of God revealing that to you. And notice he says Simon Bar Jonah. Bar is the same way of saying son of. When they um like a bar mitzvah, it's the son that it's talking about, about or as a Beth Mitzvah if I remember right, If I'm pronouncing it right, forgive me if I'm not. It's talking about a daughter. Um uh, so he's saying Simon, son of Jonah. When he says that and Jonah is the same translation of I think John when it, um, when it, um, um, depending on the language, but he's saying, God bless you, Simon Barjona, um, for having that revelation, knowing that it's not, uh, Simon Peter's own instinct or intellect revealing that to him, but instead God revealing that through him. Um, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So a couple of things there. So Jesus is first saying that he's Peter. And Peter translates to, um, or is a translation of the word, Petra or Petros, which basically means stone. Um, in And um, uh, I think it's Greek. Um, but it's, and so that's why he follows it up with, and on this rock I will build my church. So the um that goes back to the keys, oh, he's going to get to that in the next verse, so we won't get there yet, but he's saying that um that his church is going to be built on that, letting us know, um and then followed by the gates of Hades. Notice he doesn't say the gates of hell, he says the gates of Hades, and he talks about hell in other places, but where he talks about Hades is in the book of of Luke chapter sixteen, where he talks about Lazarus, where Jesus talks about two people who lived. It's not a parable. He talks about two people who actually existed. Lazarus, a poor beggar, and a rich man who doesn't even get a name, so it lets us know. That could be any wealthy person. And a wealthy person lives a comfortable, happy, uh, content life in all their wealth, but then they end up dying and suffering in a place called Hades. Not in hell, but in Hades, burning in flames and tortured, but in a form where they are alive enough to experience and regret it whereas Lazarus Lazarus the poor beggar ends up dying also but he doesn't um um end up in Hades or in heaven he ends up instead in a place where Jesus calls uh Abraham's bosom and so and that's described as what we think of as heaven or some sort of utopia af- utopian afterlife But it's not called heaven and it's not called hell and both places neither place is does either person encounter god not in hades and not in abraham's bosom god's not mentioned being in either place by jesus um so i think there's another message there for us that religion will twist and make you think oh as soon as you die what they say to be absent from the flesh is to be present with the lord that's what one religion in the bible says that's what it says in the catholic religion that's not what Jesus says, and again, if you're a Christian, are you supposed to go by what Jesus says, because who would know better than Jesus what's happening in the big picture of things, especially for us Christians um and then they'll tell you, oh well, you're going to hell, well, that's not what Jesus says either. He says Hades, so Jesus is letting us know the gates of those places won't of that fiery, tormenting place of paying you back for all the evil you did won't be enough to prevail against the righteousness of what jesus has to say his church the actual church and i say that because um jesus warns us and warns the disciples that uh after he's gone people will come along and saying oh i'm the christ or look here or look there and letting them know that's not the case um that's not jesus that's not the christ and yet and not to follow them and yet you see Right after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, as we believers believe it to say, and have been, you see the disciples very quickly take up with, or some of them take up with Paul, and or Saul, and then who changes his name to Paul. And that whole Catholic message gets introduced, which has zero red letters to it, so it's not quoting Jesus at all, so we know it's not actually a Christian message even if it disguises itself as that, and that's no condemnation of anyone who believes in it. Believe what you want to believe. But if you're gonna try and get to the truth, then the truth is none of that is a Christian message because it doesn't align with what Jesus says. It aligns with what Jesus prophesied, that other people will come along saying they're Christ, saying their Christian message. And it's not Christian at all. And he warns us not to take up with it. And yet the disciples do exactly that, including Peter at some point, takes up with that message and adopts that religion. And again, it has nothing. It's not based on anything Jesus said at all. Remember, Paul slash Saul was not one of the disciples. And according to the narratives in the gospel, he never even met Jesus during his ministry. Um, So believe what you want to believe. But it aligns with what Jesus says and it's unfortunate if uh, that Peter, even though he made it to this point in the ministry, seems to have backslid with as far as holding on to what it is Jesus actually has to say. Verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So that's the keys of the kingdom part that I was talking about. I didn't realize it was going to be in this reading but that's uh so i don't think he's saying oh so when people die you'll go to heaven and saint peter will either let you in or lock you out that's not what he's saying at all he's saying the keys as far as understanding the leaven the part that christians the world should know but christians should absolutely embrace as the keys to getting to heaven to getting to the uh, utopian afterlife if you want to think of it that way and the part about binding on earth and being bound in heaven. I guess the best way I could understand that would be, um, um, an example would be when Peter denies even knowing Jesus those three times, he denied Jesus three times here on earth, but, and it sort of bound him by that. Cause if you're saying you don't know Christ, then when you die, do you expect Christ to know you? If you confessed it with your mouth, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him three times. Um, how can you expect him to know you? or when you get to that point. So, um, Jesus, I think when he's saying bound in heaven means that when Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, he sort of bound himself that way also in the heavenly realm, in the supernatural realm. And that's why Jesus gave, was kind enough, compassionate enough, merciful enough to give him the opportunity to three times say that he loves him. I love him. I love him. And love him three times after the resurrection and after he appeared to the disciples even though they still had doubts even after all of that so i think that's what the bound on earth bound in heaven part is that jesus is actually referring to there um and in that sense yes peter said those things and bound himself in the spiritual realm by saying he didn't know jesus but then he also loosed himself thanks to jesus giving him the chance those three times to loose those bonds of saying that he doesn't know Jesus and actually affirming the faith that he does know Jesus. He is a Christian. At least that's how I understand that verse. Verse 20, then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So that seems strange that Jesus would ask them who they say he is, but then command them not to tell people that. But I think there's the reason behind that would be that it's not the time for that. It's uh, At this point, Jesus is still um, on his ministry. He's still sharing it with them. And I think if they started doing that, then that would be grounds for the religious people who are following him around to more immediately arrest and lead to the crucifixion before it was actually time for that. Because remember, Jesus was crucified, not for any wicked deed he did did, but instead for the things he was saying. That's why he was tormented and killed. Same thing with John the Baptist, and the same thing with um, with um. Well, Elijah wasn't killed for it, but in the Old Testament, the prophets were often chased out of town, tormented and tormented and plagued by the religious people, constantly on their backs, um, hassling them. And at one point, one of the Old Testament prophets even said, "It's enough. He's had enough. He can't take it anymore." Basically and that you know what's the point point in keep going on with this um because it gets to be a bit much you get hassled by it and hassled by it and i don't claim to be a prophet but i do know that i try to live by the things jesus actually says and in doing so you do run into opposition you run into it uh in expected places like bible thumpers who try to make the whole bible make sense for their religious walk even though there's contradictions so you run into it in the churches, you run into it in family uh, who believe one thing, even though it's contradictory to what Jesus says, but they still embrace it as, and say they're Christians, but deny what Jesus says. And then you run into it from non-believers who don't believe anything at all. um, and So they think it's perfectly okay to, you know, be wicked and act wicked. Probably just like I thought at one point, what's the point if I'm not going to make it there anyway, believing that. And so following down a wicked path, doing the wrong thing, thinking, well, what chance is there anyway? But then you also run into it from your from yourself sometimes, um, where the things you believe contradict what um, Jesus has to say. And you may believe them because they're what's been told you. So you embrace that. But then you also run into it in unexpected places like the beast. And if you've read with me before, you know what I the Beast of Revelation, the 666, the WWW. I've run into it again and again and again with the Naked Truth. doing just this, just reading what it says and giving my understanding of it, I've been deplatformed from Hootube to Twitch without explanation, without warning, just all of a sudden, make it all the way through the gospel readings and then suddenly I get blocked and the whole channel disappears and you have to start again and again and again. This is probably the fourth or fifth time that we've done readings and if you've read me before, you know this. So that's why, another reason why I decided to post the readings, um, at least of the Gospels. They're on my s- platform, my website, hungtgirlcom slash spirit if you want to read them there. So that just in case, get plat- deplatformed again for no apparent reason. Um, you can still see them read along with me and hear them there. Um, and speaking of read along with me, I don't know if you've noticed here on this platform on Anchor, Spotify, now that they have vid- video available On Anchor, you can actually scroll along with me. It's scrolling scripture. You can read along with me uh, the Gospels where we posted them there. And the first one I posted now, or most recently, is the top 10, the Bible top 10. I highly recommend you read that. If you're, uh, or, you know, check that video out, that reading out, it'll help give you an understanding of what we do here on Naked Truth. And why I think it's important as Christians to um, know concerning the doctrine, just like Jesus says, uh, not just rightly divide because all of the book is all of the Bible is not the word of God and not just cherry pick because cherry picking would be referred to each specific religion. Cherry picking would be like if someone who is Jewish says, oh, I like this eye for an eye, but I don't like the tooth for a tooth. Or it'd be like a uh, a Christian embracing part of what Jesus says and rejecting another part. Like Jesus says, all cannot accept this saying when it came to reincarnation. When it came to uh, eunuchs, as far as people who are in modern terms, hermaphrodites. People who don't fall into the gender binary of male and female. Jesus gave us teachings about us too and jesus lets us know all cannot accept this saying so he knows already it's not going to be accepted by everyone but that's what cherry picking is whereas what jesus tells us to do is to know concerning the doctrine that's different from both of those that's knowing whether it's from god or whether someone's speaking on their own authority and that is what's key that is one of the keys to the kingdom to know concerning the doctrine whether it's from god so that with what you're hearing if it's actual gospel truth or if it's just something someone's telling you that's in their own mind and heart. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So the narrator is letting us know that Jesus is telling them he knows what lies ahead for him. He knows the prescribed path that's laid out for him. Just like I've said before, there seems to be a big picture element going on of what God of God watching to see what paths people will take at the different crossroads we face throughout life whether we'll take the path of uh that leads downward to those flames or leads upward to that utopia and it seems that that's the one thing God doesn't know. And that's what God watches to see, what humanity will do. Because remember, it's not the people that God loves. It's the world God loves. Remember, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the people or for God so loved humanity. No, for God so loved the world. So it's the world that God actually loves and it loves. And uh, Jesus, t- Jesus tells us in another gospel, is it Luke 16 also that the earth yields crops by itself. He himself does not know how, letting us know. That's the element that God doesn't know. He doesn't know the decisions people will make best based on their walk through the world. And that seems to be the entertaining part of what God watches humanity do. Make those choices, make those decisions at those different crossroads. So Jesus is letting us know. He knows that path is already Um, preset for him, that he's going to face some suffering, he's going to face rejection, he's even going to face being killed, but he also knows that he's going to face resurrection and rising again the third day, that Jonah uh, reference of being gone for those three days and resurrecting from it, rising again, verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So it seems Peter might have got full of himself, gotten his feelings and decided, oh, well, since I'm so exalted, I'm going to get the keys to the kingdom. Let me go ahead and bring the king back and let him know, no, 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 that's not going to happen to you. And maybe he's just saying it out of concern for his friend, who he's later going to deny he even knows but um i think what it is is more he's flexing and he's in his feelings that just being exalted in front of all the disciples now he feels like his his place to let to bring jesus back and let him know no 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 don't say things like that that that's not going to be half that's not going to happen to you god forbid it far be it from you even though he says lord so he's recognizing that he's rebuking the lord uh, imagine that so how does jesus respond to that verse 23 but he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan! You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men." So just that quickly, first Jesus said that it's not flesh and blood that revealed um, what Jesus, what uh, Peter said earlier, but God or the Father or the divine that revealed that to him. It wasn't his own intellect making him confess Jesus as the Son of God, the Christ. It was some a higher power making him do that. But just like that, Jesus is letting him know. Now there's another supernatural power getting you to say that also, the power of Satan, the power of darkness letting you, leading you to say, or provoking you to say something like rebuking Jesus, the Savior himself. And what does Jesus say is to get behind him. In another place, it says away with you. And he says it's an offense to Jesus. Jesus is saying it's an offense. It's a sin against God for you to um, keep in mind or have in your mind and your heart the things of men. To put that above what God would have you know. The same thing uh, goes with the knowing concerning the doctrine. Are you going to embrace what people tell you? What your own heart tells you? What your church or religious organization tells you? Or are you going to embrace what it is God has for us to know. And he's saying what we should be mindful of is the things of God, not the things of men. And if you do embrace those things of men rather than the things of God, you're an offense to God. You're an offense to Jesus. You're an offense to Christianity if you embrace some other doctrine other than what Jesus is telling us to do verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus is making it clear. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, if you're going to say you're following Jesus, you're going to follow Christ, then what you do is deny yourself, meaning those own inclinations of your own heart, those own things you may believe are what are righteous. And instead, no, 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 take up the cross, and follow him take up, take up the fact that Jesus laid down his life on that cross and um, be willing to also lay down what we believe as our paths to life and instead take up the cross take up the fact that Jesus already handled that part of our walk and follow him follow what it is Jesus has to say embrace the red letters verse 25 for whoever desires to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life for my sake will say will find it so jesus is giving that message to us all but directing it here to the disciples to let let us all know that you have a choice you don't have to you have that cross crossroads where you can choose your life and to embrace that like peter is going to be an example of to save his life Uh, When they ask him who he is just before the crucifixion, he's going to deny that he even knows Jesus to save his own life. And like I said, thankfully, Jesus gives him the chance to uh, rebuke himself in his own words and take those back and, um, you know, still be on the path. But we have the same choice where you can choose to believe whatever you want to believe, even if it contradicts Jesus. But don't think that embracing that, is the same thing as embracing Christianity. It's not. And he's saying if you do do that, then you risk losing your life. You, uh, He's saying you lose your life if you do that. But if you put down your own belief system, put down what it is you may, uh, your own heart may tell you uh, is what is right and wrong. And instead choose to embrace what it is, Jesus says. In that sense, you'll find it. You'll find your life in embracing what Jesus has to say rather than what it is your own heart may incline you to believe or whatever your religion may tell you to believe. Verse 26. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So um, you may end up um, rich and famous and um, have all those comforts. Like Remember, we were just talking about the Lazarus and the rich man. But what good is that going to do you if you end up in torments and in flames and far away from that utopia that you were trying to aim for and get to but won't get there because you chose to seek that out while you walked the earth when you had life, when you had uh, air in your lungs, um, and then the hereafter meets you and you end up someplace burning. So I think that's what Jesus is pointing to, the different crossroads that we face, whether Christians or not. But particularly if we are Christians, the choices you have to either pursue financial gain or whatever else that it is you may choose to focus on and seek or to choose uh, spiritual gain and higher a higher what it, higher um but it's higher things that's what it'd be like um like soul to soul says the power of higher things and it's to to decide to seek that instead instead it's a choice. Um, but if you, if you choose wrongly, if you choose, or at least spiritually wrongly, if you choose material wealth over spiritual wealth and well-being, then just know, um, what good is that actually going to do your soul when that judgment day comes? Um, it's not going to save you. You can't even take it with you. Verse 27, for the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So Jesus has already let us know when he says son of man, he's talking about himself. So he's saying uh, he may be talking about, generally speaking, that second coming when all the world that's alive at that time will recognize and and know, um, know, okay, here it is. It's showtime. Um, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the power, as Jesus says. But he could also be talking about, and I believe he's also talking about the individual judgment days people meet as they pass on when they uh, when they uh die, in other words, and again, it's not that they're gonna necessarily be meeting God, but they are gonna meet a judgment, and um, and not everyone's even gonna meet that. Jesus makes it clear, John chapter five, if we're righteous, if we are Christian, if we follow what it is Jesus says, then we get to pass from ju- judgment and death into life, so we get to bypass that process altogether. But it takes faithfulness. It takes and faithfulness to the right um source of the light and the life the way the truth and the life in other words um and he's letting us know there will be that coming again and, and there will be a, a reward but it's going to be each according to his work so that doesn't mean the reward's necessarily going to be good there will be an elevator that goes up and an elevator that goes down um uh, verse 28 assuredly i say to you there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So that's, um, I guess we'll name this reading after that one. I was trying to think what we'll name it after as far as a title. But I think we'll use that one, because that's a powerful statement that Jesus is saying there. He's already talked. we've already gone over Elijah and reincarnation and John the Baptist and had old arrangement there and UFOs and all of that in this reading, in this one chapter. But what Jesus is finishing with is extremely powerful and not, to be read over look at what he's saying he's saying assuredly I say to you." that means without a doubt this is fact for us There are some standing here who shall not taste death so that means some people who were standing there at that time almost 2,000 years ago won't taste death that means they are still alive or won't taste death till they see the son of man coming in his kingdom we know Jesus hasn't come in his kingdom we know he came again after the resurrection, but that's not coming in his kingdom. Coming in his kingdom is what we, we think of as the second coming. Um, that uh, the judgment day moment, like he was just saying, when he comes again and he's going to reward each according to our works. That's what he's referring to. That's why it's following that statement. So for him to say, some standing here who won't taste death until that moment is something, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but I think it's what Jesus what Jesus is saying is, That there'll be a time, and I guess in in the grand scheme of things, the time already came, but will be a time when time travel is a reality. That there are some people who, when time travel is uh, popularized, or at least well uh, known, or at least widely available to everyone, there'll be a time where people will travel back to that time of Jesus, probably to affirm their faith. But at the very least, to even see or confirm if Jesus ever even existed. And I know this sounds crazy, but if you think about it, like I've said, when we went over these readings before, mm-hmm. like I said, before I've been deplatformed before, I think that one of the main times, if you think of the three main times people want to travel to, um, if they if time travel were a reality or once time travel is a reality, I think one of the times people want to travel to is to the beginning where things actually were at the start to see how close to the adam and eve narrative things were people would probably want to travel to the end to see the consummation of all things and how everything wraps up as far as the um second coming or the apocalypse Or and then another the third time people want to travel to besides when maybe when they were born that might not even be the top three but people might want to travel back to when they were first born to see how times were then. But I think the third major time that most people want to travel back to, um, and that's presuming backward is where people want to go to, would be the time of Jesus to see if Jesus actually existed. And if he existed, did he do all those miracles? Did he heal all those people? Did he really get crucified and resurrect? People want to go back to those times. So I think what Jesus is saying here is that time travel is a reality. And that some people had traveled back there to that time. And that's why he's saying there's some standing there who won't taste up. I think some people travel back to the time of Christ to, like I say, whatever the reason, whether it's to affirm faith or just to monitor and see what happened. There are some people who were standing there then who traveled back to that time or forward to that time so that they could see and witness those things. And Jesus was making it clear he sees them too. He's aware of them too. He knows they're there also. That What's that children's cartoon? That's a religious children's cartoon, super book, I think is what it's called, um, where the kids travel around and see different things, events throughout the Bible. I think Jesus is making it clear and he's not, in, He's it's very subtle, but I think that's what he's saying. There are some people who travel through time and space perhaps, but travel through that time those realms to get to that time and witness what Jesus was uh what Jesus ministry actually was to actually witness it firsthand and see probably so they could believe themselves and affirm their own faith and that actually is a sign of unfaithfulness that's just like the the pharisees seeking a sign for them to believe it's like Jesus said it's wicked and adulterous to seek that sign but um because it shows that you're not actually faithful, it'd be no different than if you're married to someone and the sign you need to believe that they're faithful to you is to follow them around with a with a leash or to lock a chastity belt on them or chastity cage on them for males um to believe that they're faithful to you, and you keep the key uh, yeah you're you're affirming that they're faithful to you, but you're not really believing they're being faithful you're needing um a sign you're needing a witness to show that they're actually being faithful. And I think that's also part of the message what Jesus is saying as far as it being wicked and adulterous. You're not being faithful at all. You're only believing because you're seeing it. Just like Thomas uh only believed it after he was able to see Jesus resurrected and put his finger in the in the in the nail prints and put his hand in Jesus's side that was pierced. That's the only time when he he said until then he wouldn't believe. So it's actually Unfaithful, it's actually adulterous and unfaithful to not believe and to only need to have to see to believe that's not showing faith at all. that's showing what anyone else would do if um if they were able to see that's just like if somebody told you they were in a car accident, he say, "Well, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. That's not showing faith in what someone told you that's not showing faith at all. that's just being what any other human would do, and so I think that's what Jesus is saying there that there were people who traveled back to that time and that they, or to that time, that point in time, so that they could witness Jesus' ministry um, for their faith or, like I say, whatever reason. But at the end of the day, that's not going to be enough to save them either. And that's what he's saying, that they won't taste death till then. So when Jesus comes again, save for the people who decide to travel to the end, who want to see the apocalypse or the consummation, the second coming, That that's when they're going to taste death because them needing to see it to believe it doesn't show faith at all. And it actually may be them giving up their life rather than finding it. They're seeking to save their life by looking for those articles of faith, but end up losing their lives because they didn't have faith. They aren't showing faith at all. I think that that's what Jesus' message is in saying in that one little verse. I think he said a whole lot in saying that um and he's saying and when he says son of man coming in his kingdom like i said i think he's talking about the apocalypse the second coming that's what he's referring to um so i think that's what we will name some time travel um and that's the last verse in this chapter so that's the end of this reading and i appreciate you checking out with me and as always i hope it's a blessing for you you can hear the past readings here on anchor spotify or the platforms where you found me um or you can go, if you're an adult, to my platform, hungtgirl.com, like I mentioned earlier, and click on the links, body, mind, spirit, and soul, to get to know me, your messenger, your humble messenger. Um, And click on the pictures. They're actually videos if you want to get to know me and some of my friends and maybe even some of your friends. Feel free to make a donation. I appreciate it. Or enjoy the free content. I appreciate that, too. And, um, um or get a subscription. Um, I don't have those available right now. I'm in the process of tweaking that. But um, any of that or just enjoying the free content are all appreciated. I thank you for that. God bless you for that and for joining me. And I hope you'll join me again. Stay safe and I'll see you next time. Thanks again. Peace be with you.